Well, good morning, Central. Whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, I just want you to know that I am excited to have the next few moments to share with you. In fact, yesterday I got to work with some of your team as we prepared for the girlfriend's Christmas at home. So I just want to encourage you ladies that if you haven't signed up to be a part of that, you should definitely do that. I know this year it's going to look a little bit different than in years past, but I promise that it is going to be a great time of encouragement and it's also just going to be a great way to kick off the Christmas season. I believe that's December 3rd and 4th. So I encourage you, don't leave here today without signing up to be a part of that with us. Now, Travis said that my husband, he's part of the Water's Edge Network. So some of you may have met him before. He's also, I think, uh, he has taught here a few times. Chris Brown, he's tall, dark, handsome, ringing any bells. He, he, he's one thing that you would definitely know him by. He probably tells the corniest jokes up here of anybody. I mean, I know, I know, ladies, like... <laughs> They just can't have it all. Um, So I have been laughing at corny jokes for 20 years because other than that, he's a really, really good guy. Uh, And Chris and I and our kids, we live right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. There they are. And um, that's our children, Max Jack and Annie Brown. About three years ago, we bought a farm in the country. And so we went from city folk to country folk. And prior to this move, Chris and I would sit in our, on our front porch of our house in, the, in a neighborhood and we would just dream about what we thought life would be like in the country. Like if we could just buy a little bit of land. I mean, surely our kids will never fight again because they'll have so much work to do on the farm, right? We thought, we thought they would never want to be on electronics because they would just have all this land to explore, and we, we really, it was like, we're not even going to see them, babe. From sun up to sundown, we won't even see our kids because they're going to be working with the animals or, or building something with their hands. I mean, they are going to be busy kids. And so we had all these dreams. We, we packed up our house and we, and we moved to the country. We bought a, a farmhouse that was 200 years old and we bought it as is. So... As you can expect, the move to a 200-year-old farmhouse that was purchased as is was less than perfect. I mean, it was the less than perfect equivalent. It would be like taking your kids to Disney World for the very first time and everybody getting that stomach bug. You know the stomach bug where you just can't decide if you want to sit on the toilet or lean over it? That's what it was like, like everybody fighting for the same toilet, everybody sick on both ends. I mean, it was a stinking disaster. The first shower that I took, there was, the shower was on the second floor of our home and literally guys, the shower fell through the ceiling and into the dining room. I'm not lying. And then with our first load of laundry, the entire basement flooded. The house was infested with, by no less then five million ladybugs. I didn't even know there were that many in the world and they were all in my house. I came eye to eye with a snake within the first 12 hours of being there and, and it wasn't outside. It was in the house as well. I mean, we had a jungle inside. And so it wasn't long into this, this disaster. I mean, I mean, adventure, babe, if you're watching, Chris, I, total adventure that I began to long 
for our house in the city that we had given up. I mean, I cried and I cried. I begged my husband to take me back, do whatever you got to do, undo the whole thing. I don't want to do this. I thought for sure that I was never going to take a decent shower again. I thought I would never be bug free in our bed. And and I really thought that we were going to go bankrupt trying to fix this place up. And see, that was a really big problem because my husband travels the country teaching people how to manage their finances. And all I could think of is, honey, this is going to be huge news. I mean, I could see the, the headlines, you know, financial coach goes bankrupt over bad investment. That was going to be us. Our names are going to be underneath that. I just knew it. And it wasn't but a couple weeks into this, and I was just longing for what we left behind. I wanted so badly to have back what we had just lost. And as we continue our Embracing Exile series that Pastor Craig uh, kicked off last week, this is the exact same place that we find Israel in. They were longing for what was so important to them. They were longing for what they had lost. They were longing for their homeland. And if you have your Bibles, would you just open them up to Psalm chapter 37? I want us to just read what the psalmist wrote about their grief during this time. Psalm 37 in verse 1, we're going to start there. It says this, By the rivers of Babylon... We sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? Israel was heartbroken. I mean, they had just been carried off and everything that they had ever known about life was now changing. I mean, the Bible tells us that they sat by the river and wept. Why did they weep? Well, they wept for their friends and their family members that were no more. They wept for the loss of everything that they had ever known. They wept because their place of worship was completely destroyed. And they wept because their future looked so bleak. They were heartbroken over what had been lost. And I think the space that we find Israel in during this time is one of the hardest parts of grieving. You know, I think it's, it's that space where what you've left behind or what's been lost feels so final, but yet your future still feels so unknown. What is new normal going to look like? I don't know. All I know is what I've lost. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, I think if you're here today and you're a Christian, most of us, we, we, tend, we tend to have this sense of hope that we carry with us because of our faith. We tend to have this sense of hope that in the end, everything's going to turn out okay. Right? But see, it's often the middle that just gets us. It's that space when, when, when we figure out what's been lost feels so final, what's behind us feels so final, but our future still feels so fragile, so unknown. It's that space of uncertainty that can be so excruciating. I call that space the muddy middle. 
when what's lost feels so final and the future feels so fragile. For us on the farm, the muddy middle was when I realized I had given up this comfortable home in the suburbs for this rundown place in the country, and there was no going back. And in that uncertainty of not knowing how we're going to do this, I, I sat paralyzed. And in that space, I forgot all the reasons that we bought this house. I forgot the reasons we wanted to do this. I forgot that we wanted to build some memories for our children apart from electronics. I forgot that we wanted to build a place of respite for family and friends to come and escape the busyness of life. I forgot all of that. And I sat there in this uncertainty. Will we go? go bankrupt on this property? Will our kids ever adjust to a life like this? It was the muddy middle of uncertainty, and it was excruciating. And I think all of us can agree that 2020 has been a year of muddy middles. Is church as we've always known it, is that over Will, will, will we financially make it through this pandemic? Will I ever, ever get a sample again at Costco or Sam's Club? Right? Will we ever be able to depend on the school calendar or is it going to keep changing over and over? And maybe you're here today and you're, you're in a season of muddy middle and it's, 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 it's deeper and more personal and more painful than anything that a global pandemic or an election season could bring. Maybe your muddy middle is wondering, is he going to come home or isn't he? Maybe it's like Christy's story that we saw in that red chair. Is God going to pull through and heal our family member despite what the physician says the odds are? It's the muddy middle when what's lost feels so final, but our future still feels so fragile. And what do we do with that? I mean, what do we do when what we thought was going to be a week or two tops stretches into months and years? How do we do this? How do we continue to keep up with the bills and keep up with our kids' schoolwork and still keep performing at our jobs when, when we're searching for answers and clarity that doesn't seem to be coming? How do we keep moving forward as we grieve what we've lost and our lives feel so enveloped by uncertainty? How do we do that? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. I think it's encouraging, though, for all of us to remember that we're not the first generation to be stuck in this muddy middle. There's been other generations that have had this dark cloud of uncertainty looming over it, just like we're experiencing. In fact, in 1939, World War II broke out. It killed an estimated of 70 to 85 million people. And there was no recovery plan in place at that time. It was the muddy middle of evil winning in our world. In 1918, the Spanish flu killed an estimated 50 million people. There was no vaccine. I mean, it was the muddy middle of pandemics. In 1814, our nation's capital was burned to the ground. There was no blueprint on the back burner to build a bigger and better capital. It was the muddy middle of politics. 
And in A.D. 33, Jesus was killed. There was no resurrection in sight on that day. It was the muddy middle of what has become the linchpin of our faith. And that's the day that I want us to consider this morning. The day that Jesus himself was killed. Now, if you've been a Christian for some time, you already know that that was the plan all along for Jesus to die, for him, for him to be crucified and then to rise again. We know that that was the plan. But what we so often forget was that, that his first followers, they didn't know this. Or at least they didn't understand this. You see, they thought he was going to come and he was going to overthrow their corrupt government. They thought that he was going to expose their oppressors for their prejudices. They thought he was going to bring freedom like they have never known. And guess what? He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Instead, he was nailed to a cross and he hung there until he breathed his very last breath just like any other human would do. And in that moment, it was over. It was over. It was all lost. What they thought was going to happen was lost. And their future now felt so fragile. It was a dark day for those whose hope was in Jesus. And they were left wondering, now what? Was he God or wasn't he? What do we do now? It was the muddy middle of uncertainty. And so I want us to look at this today. I want us to look at the responses of some of Jesus' very first followers. And I want us to understand what did they do? How did they move forward during that season of muddy middle? Because I think we can learn some things that can help us in 2020. Now, it's important to know that uh, there was this guy named Matthew. Matthew was an early follower of Jesus. He was also an eyewitness to his life. And Matthew tells us that right before Jesus died, right before this happened, that a few things occurred, that Jesus was, was arrested, that he was beaten, and that he was tried. And Matthew makes a point of letting us know exactly where Jesus' best friends were during this time. Many people hear them referred to as the disciples. Matthew tells us that all the disciples, they deserted Jesus and they fled. They ran away. And isn't it just so easy to do that? Isn't it so easy to run when you feel like death is coming? Maybe that's the death of a job or, or, or the death of a relationship. But isn't it easier to run than to actually stay in the pain of what you think might be coming? That's a painful place. It's like you can see a crash coming at you head on. We run from that. And that's what his disciples did. I'm not judging them. I've done that as well in my life. But I want us to learn from a different follower, a follower that responded in what I believe is a much more productive way to respond when you're in the muddy middle. Her name is Mary Magdalene. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's a different Mary. But Mary, like Matthew, was also an eyewitness to Jesus' life. And I'm not going to lie. I kind of like it when a chick pulls through for all of mankind. So we're going to study her this morning, okay? 
Now, if you jump over to the book of Mark, Mark tells us what was uh, about a few events that were going on and exactly where Mary was at while these events were happening. So, so, so picture this, okay? Because the disciples have all fled. Jesus was tried, he was arrested, and he was beaten. They've all, they've all fled. And then I want you to look at where Mark tells us Mary was. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 40, he tells us that when Jesus was on that cross, that some of the women were watching from a distance, and among them was Mary Magdalene. So she was at the crucifixion. And then after Jesus died, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 46, it says, they took the body down from the cross, they wrapped it in the cloth, and they laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. And then at the resurrection, now remember, this is Resurrection Sunday, but it's before anybody knows that it's going to be Resurrection Sunday, okay? So it's just a couple days after Jesus was buried. He tells us in chapter 16, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome went out, purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. You see, when things seemed uncertain, when she was unsure of everything that was going on around her, Mary didn't run. She didn't take the next flight out. She stayed and she kept her eyes on Jesus. She said, if he's on that cross, I'm gonna be near that cross. If he's being buried, I'm gonna watch them put him in his tomb. I'm gonna go there and check on him a couple days later as soon as the Sabbath is over and I'm allowed to be there. At the cross, I'm there. At the burial, I'm there. I am going to be there. She never took her eyes off Jesus. She reminds me of parenting a little bit here, okay? She reminds me of parenting in, in that phase where, when your kids are little and, and, and they're, they're, they can swim, but they're not great swimmers yet. Like you're, you can't leave them alone to swim, but you maybe don't have to be in the water with them. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where, where maybe they can be in the water swimming on their own, and, and, and you might just have to stand near the side of the pool. Like they're not, they're not quite at the place where you could go sit in the chair, or go sit at the table, but you're just standing at the side of the pool. Maybe you're having a conversation with your girlfriend, right? But are you like me and you just count the heads of your kids over and over? One, two, three. Okay, I got 30 seconds. Let's talk. One, two, three. Okay, we can talk for another 25 seconds, right? And you just keep counting their heads over and over. You're not taking your eyes off of them. I mean, I remember the day I could finally classify my youngest as a good swimmer. Oh my goodness, that day is right up there with a wedding day. I mean, it was amazing. I grabbed a magazine, I reclined in a chair, and I felt like I had just arrived at a new level of living. Any parents know what that's like, right? I mean, it was a luxury that I hadn't felt in over a decade. Like, what is this? I love this. Parenting is amazing. This is great. Now, if you're not there yet, maybe yours are still really little and you're just not at that phase yet. I had a lady after the first service tell me I had seven kids. I never got there. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know what? If you're not there yet, don't, don't, don't worry because what people failed to tell me was that after just a couple years of getting them all to be good swimmers, I was gonna be right back into the eyes on my child at all time stage. Except this time, it's not going to be water that freaks me out. It's going to be the opposite sex. 
And that's a lot harder because the opposite sex, unlike water, is everywhere. It's everywhere. My husband and I joke, we, we, we laugh, we say we used to count heads in water. Now when we're around the opposite sex, we count hands on bodies. I want to see two hands for everybody at all times. At all times. We are not taking our eyes off you. And see, that was exactly what Mary was doing. At every turn in her circumstance, at every change that was happening right now, things felt like they were spinning out of control. Her foundations were shaking. Her world was beginning to crumble, and yet she never took her eyes off Jesus. She locked in, and she went where Jesus went. She kept with Jesus. And if we are going to move forward in a year like 2020, we are going to have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And maybe you're like me, and so often... Instead of running to Jesus, you just run to things that further intensify your anxiety. Maybe you look up the latest COVID count or you you read the, the most recent election article. Maybe you're running to Facebook posts. Instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus, we're running to things that further intensify our uncertainty. But you see, if we are going to move forward, we've got to lock our eyes on him because here's the cool thing. When our focus is on Jesus, we don't need certainty to be at peace. We can find peace even when we don't have answers. I remember this story I heard a long time ago about this young man. He, he was trying to figure out how to best spend the rest of his life. And he really wanted to honor God. He really wanted to do something big for God with the rest of his life, but he just couldn't figure out what. And so he prayed and prayed about, and after a few months, he was just frustrated. He was frustrated over the entire process. So he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to India. I'm going to work with Mother Teresa, and I'm going to see if she can't help me figure out the best way to spend the rest of my life. And so he did just that. He hopped on a plane. He moved to India. And the very first day that he met Mother Teresa, he asked her, he said, would you pray for me? And Mother Teresa said, sure, I will pray for you. What would you like me to pray for you about? And he said, would you just pray that I have clarity on how to spend the rest of my life? And Mother Teresa looked him dead in the eyes and she said, absolutely not. She said, in all my life, I've never had clarity. But what I have had is faith. And so I'm going to pray that you have more faith. Guys, we need more faith, not clarity. We need more trust, not answers. And the only way for us to get that is is to keep our focus on Jesus. You see, the more we know Jesus, the more we trust him. Trust is just simply a byproduct of knowing Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, okay, so how do I do that practically, Holly? How do, I, how do I get Jesus back to the center of my attention? How do I put my focus back on him? Maybe your mind is just swimming with so many things right now. Like how is, how is my business going to innovate during a time like this? Or is my marriage even going to make it through this? Well, you know what I do when I'm having a hard time? to get my, a hard time getting my mind just centered on Jesus, I just asked myself this question. When was the last time you felt God's presence? 
When was the last time you felt a sense of peace come over you that you know your anxious mind did not think of that thought? Or when was the last time you heard a lyric and you felt God nudge you to do something? Or you heard a pastor speak and you felt like he was reading your mail because it was exactly what you needed to hear? I asked myself that question, when was the last time I felt God's presence? I answer that and then I go back and I just start there. It's a simple starting place. Was that in the car with worship music on? Go back and start there. Was that when a girlfriend just prayed over you? Call her up and ask her to pray over you again. I want us to take just a minute together, whether you're here in person or online, and just just think about that question. Answer it for yourself. Maybe if you have your phone, jot that, that down. Maybe, or maybe if you have a pen and a piece of paper, just write it down. When was the last time you felt God's presence? I'm going to give you just a minute to think about that. Go back. Start there. It will help you recenter your mind on Jesus. And that's what we got to do if we're going to step forward during this time of muddy middles. Mary teaches us one other way that I want us to consider today that we can begin to move forward during a time like today. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. Now let me set this up for you. So this is, this is resurrection morning, but it's, it's, nobody knows that, okay? So, so it's, the, it's early in the morning. Nobody knows what's about to happen. Matthew tells us in chapter 28 that at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary and the other Mary went to the tomb. Now when they got to this tomb, there was an angel there. And if you jump to verse 5, you can see that the angel said to, to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Now, if you were to keep reading, you would find out that Mary wasn't quite sure about this. At this moment, she didn't know if what this angel was saying was true or if all of this was just a cover-up for someone stealing Jesus' body. She was stuck in the middle of being unsure and uncertain about what was going on around her. But I want you to see what she does. So the angel says to the ladies, he says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Mary was scared. Mary was confused at this point, and yet she still ran to tell the disciples. She reminds me of something my daughter taught me a few years ago. When we first moved to that farm that I told you about, my kids, they had to transfer schools during the middle of the school year. And so I remember the, first, the night before their first day of school, I asked my daughter, I just said, hey, Annie, how do you feel about school tomorrow? Are you excited to meet your teacher and, and make some new friends? And Annie said, I, 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 I don't know how I feel, Mom. I don't know. I said, okay. And I went about doing whatever I was doing. A few minutes later, my daughter walks into my bedroom and she goes, Mom, is happy scared a thing? Because I think I feel happy scared about school tomorrow. And you see, 
That's exactly the way that Mary felt. The Bible tells us that she was afraid yet filled with joy. She was happy, scared. And if we are going to move forward during uncertain times, we are going to have to do some things happy, scared. We're going to have to take some happy, scared steps. And what are they? Well, my definition of a happy, scared step is a step in the right direction even when the future feels fragile. Even when I'm not sure of the outcome, I'm going to take a happy, scared step and I'm going to begin to move forward. And maybe a happy, scared step for you is just to simply turn in the resume that's been on the corner of your desk for 30 days. Maybe a happy, scared step for you is to initiate a conversation with your spouse. Maybe a happy, scared step for you is to join a small group online. Or maybe it's to simply get up in the morning, get out of bed, and make your bed behind you so you don't get back in it. You know what? It doesn't have to be a big step. It can be a very small step forward. But Mary teaches us that uncertainty and even grieving what has been lost is no excuse to stop stepping. And so as the band joins me on stage, I just want us all to consider this. I want you to ask yourself this question. What is one happy, scared step you can take this week? Wherever you wrote down the last answer, just write that down as well. What is one happy, scared step that I can take this week? I'm going to give you just a minute. Think about that one too. See, guys, we can be uncertain of the outcome, we can be afraid, and yet we can keep stepping. And you know, this week, I just couldn't help but spend a little bit of time daydreaming about what must have been going through Mary's mind as she went to tell those disciples. I mean, the Bible tells us if she was afraid and filled with joy, it tells me that she was waffling, that she was waffling, that between complete elation at, at what the angel said being true and totally freaked out that all of this was a cover-up for someone stealing Jesus's body. I mean, she was wavering back and forth between faith and fear, back and forth, back and forth between faith and fear. And she had to be asking herself, like, what is going on? This is such a disaster. I mean, this has been one nightmare after another. And I wonder if she even said, do I even bother going and telling the disciples? I mean, they're his closest friends and they all abandoned him. Did they abandon him because they know something about him that I don't know? Is he not who he said he was? And I can't help but think that at some point she must have stopped and maybe even turned around and said, you know what, forget it, forget it. I'm just gonna go home. I'm not even gonna bother telling them. They're gonna think I'm crazy. And if Mary is anything like me or the rest of us, I'm sure she ran around that cul-de-sac of uncertainty several times, several times. But here's what I know. 
I know that at some point her thinking shifted. At some point she stopped. She stopped focusing on the uncertain things that she had no answers to. She stopped trying to figure out things that were too complicated for her, for a future that was unfolding that she wasn't aware of. At some point, she shifted her thinking from the uncertain things that she didn't know about this world to the certain things that she knew about her Jesus. And listen to me, Mary knew some things about Jesus. She knew she walked with Him. She did ministry with Him. She knew from personal firsthand experience that Jesus heals people of their mental illnesses. She knew that He took broken people and made them whole. She saw Him bring life from death. She saw Him make the lame walk, make the blind see. She knew that He fed 5,000 people from one boy's lunch. She knew some things about Jesus. And at some point, somebody witnessed her running. So I can't help but think with everything she reminded herself about Jesus that she was certain about, that her heart must have leapt, that her spirit must have rose. And at some point she took off running because she wasn't focused on the uncertain things in her world. She was focused on who she knew to be certain. Jesus was certain. And when her focus came back to Jesus, her steps got faster. And she told the disciples she was the first person to spread the gospel in our world. Mary did that because she stopped focusing on the uncertain things that she didn't know. She started focusing on what she did know, on who she knew. Jesus is certain. And if we are gonna take some happy, scared steps in a year like 2020, when there is still a pandemic lurk lurking, we're in a, in a confusing election season, you know what? We are going to have to remind ourselves of the certain things we do know. We know some things about Jesus. We know He is certain. We know that His goodness over us is certain. We know His love for us is certain. His protection over each and every one of us is certain. We don't need certain circumstances. We need Jesus. Our country needs Jesus. Our schools need Jesus. Our government needs Jesus. He is certain and He is how we move forward. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need you. We need you, Jesus, in this time of muddy middles. Would you come? Would you flood this room? Would you flood every single room that is logged in online with your peace? Would you calm chaotic minds? Would you bring comfort to anxious hearts? Jesus, we need you. Help us to focus on the certain things that we know about you. You are our protector. You are our advocate. You are our vindicator. You are our God. Nothing is too great. Nothing is too complicated for you. Jesus, come.